friends, welcome to episode 203 of Storyteller Conclave. This is a show all about helping you run the best tabletop role-playing game that you can, whether you're a new storyteller or dungeon master learning the craft, or an experienced storyteller looking to take your game to the next level. I'm Sarah. I'm Rob. How are we doing, Rob? You know, uh, I'm, I'm a little tired, but like, it's background tired, like body tired. Mm-hmm. My brain's there, but like, my body's not willing. <laughs> yeah, yeah, I, uh... I had very much the same experience this afternoon. Like, I logged out of my work computer at 4.30, and I was just, and I, I just, like, blinked at the at the, the, the screen and was just like, I just really want to take a nap right now. Yeah. Like, I hit you up on Discord, and I'm like, what if I didn't do the dis- the, the, the podcast tonight, and I just took a nap, and you're like, nope, <laughs> nope. wake up, wake nope. up, nope, get up, <laughs> wake the cluck up. <laughs> got over here, and your wife made me a really strong margarita, which and... is an alcoholic depressant, so. Yeah, we'll see how this show survives. We both had those, so. So hopefully this tea wakes me up a little bit. I but, think uh, it will. It's a good yeah. tea. It's a good tea. Um, so yeah, uh, not a lot going on. Um, overall, I will say, uh, Sean is ramping up, uh, his game a yeah. little bit, which is uh, based on uh, Nova Praxis, the Savage World sci-fi setting. It's it was one of one of yeah. several Savage World sci-fi settings. Yeah. Um uh, it actually has not been updated for um Savage World's Adventure Edition, so it's an old Explorer Edition version mm-hmm. it's using. It's a little different. But the but the conversion to Adventure Edition is very like it's pretty simple. Yeah. Um the the changes aren't so sweeping that they're not, you know, directly compatible without a few little yeah. tweaks. Yeah. Um and he's put a lot of work into uh not only converting the stuff over, but he made a really good comprehensive player guide for no, us. No, very much so. Very much um, so. He made a digital uh, character sheet for us mm-hmm. in Google Sheets. Mm-hmm. Uh, I mean, it's... And then uh, you saw he was posting... He posted a picture to our group chat um, mm-hmm. of some of that, like, cardboard terrain that he's been putting No, it looks together. great. It looks it um, looks amazing. Like, that, and, that kind uh, of stuff is always fun when you start pulling your things together, your, all your tool sets and everything. It's really nice seeing seeing the behind the scenes on that, too, mm-hmm. of, of someone else who's who's an, another storyteller and getting to, like, live with them through the creative process. Because just watching all the energy and time he's put into it and stuff like that. And mm-hmm. um, he, he was a little worried that, you know, people's reaction was a little maybe tepid or something like that. But, like, all it took was getting everybody kind of in Discord one night yeah. just to... Hey, you know, just just had some questions about the setting. Is like, okay, this this is going on and that's going on, and suddenly everybody's creative juices started flowing, mm-hmm. and like the Discord just lit up with like, oh, I was thinking about this type of character, that type of character. Mm-hmm. I kept him up until one in the morning the other oh, night, geez. um, lying there in bed, going, "What if I played this type of character? <laughs> oh, I gotta talk to your brother because it would work so well with his character." I I had the idea that like, um. So, like, think uh, Halo, mm-hmm. Cortana mm-hmm. kind of sits inside Master Chief's head, right? Yeah, yeah. Um, so, sure, yeah. his brother was going to make a, like, a mnemonic character, very, very much styled around Johnny Mnemonic, right? Okay, yeah, yeah, um, yeah. With a couple other influences sure, sure, throw, sure. thrown in for, for, for flavor. Mm-hmm. Um, but I thought to myself, what if I were a uh, a sim, a digital character, mm-hmm. um, that essentially was, like, agoraphobic and didn't like being, you know, have having any sort of physical manifestation. Mm-hmm. So I just have an apartment inside of his skull memory. Okay. And he just, we, he just, I, I, I'm his tenant. I live with him, like, yeah. in his head full time. Okay. But kind of the symbiotic relationship he gets out of that is, of course, my character is, like, great at, like, running drones and just, you know, making sure that security cameras are turned off around him and drones are taken over and turned towards us. And so he's always got this field of, like, essentially grace that's around him at all times Mm -hmm. um where if you didn't know that i was there also doing these things for him and making all the electronics work for him that um he would just have extraordinary good luck and then i thought that's got to be the name of my character grace oh that's great yeah that is great yeah okay i like this i i I, when you started writing up the idea i was like that's that actually would work really well in the setting i think Mm -hmm. it's really cool um What's even funnier about that is, uh, it, I I know you know the Halo universe, and but some of our listeners don't. Is yeah. that uh, the the character Cortana, the the, the aforementioned character in discussion, uh, is actually a copy of a human of, of the human progenitor doctor who generated her's brain. Mm-hmm. So so she's te- technically a sim inside this in, in in this in this setting, right? And funny enough, that doctor kind of agoraphobic. 
honestly lived in in like a capsule, dealt with people at a very different level. Yeah, saw the world in a different slice. So there's a lot of comparison there that you you can yeah. run from. Yeah, I, that's cool. That's really cool. And I also really like going into 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 any game setting where you've got um tight bonds between characters. You know, mm-hmm. I know there there's game settings that that like do that during character creation. We talked about Dungeon World, we talked about, you know, Fate and stuff like that yeah. where, you know, you start the game with these bonds, but it's almost like a mechanical sort of thing, you know, pick one person at the table who you don't trust. Yeah, it's a helper, pick one person at the yeah. table who you're going to try to fix or you right, know whatever. Right. And those are great those are great prompts, but mm-hmm. like I love it when, you know, you get two people who just kind of organically go our characters would work really well together mm-hmm. what if we wrote the same backstory and we like you know have this bond and we come as a package deal you know yeah and I start thinking about the character's motivations and stuff like mm-hmm. you know what house would she belong to same house as him yeah she doesn't care about any of the shadow war going on but she cares about him yeah so you know she can do whatever she can to facilitate him you know yeah I, I, and and the character concepts that i'm coming up with i'm i'm literally just throwing ideas to the wind mm-hmm. uh kind of a thing things that i've thought about like and the one part that i'm trying to do with myself is like okay what slice of me do i want to take yeah 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 do i want to take like the hacker character that i'm looking at like do i want to take the 14 year old version of myself who just got into bulletin board systems and was like or i should probably say younger than that even uh you know who is out there on the edge you know learning how to phone freak for those of you who remember what that was like to watch hackers went one too many times during the 90s exactly. was way too into angelina Jolie. <laughs> well, i mean it was it will see it was kind of like the mummy for us we all were into <laughs> we're all were. yeah that's yeah it's before there was the mummy you you had you had hackers you had yeah. hackers honestly you did you so aren't, you weren't born bisexual you watch the ha- you watch hackers at a formative age and it turns you bisexual that's right because by the end he's wearing a dress you johnny... and he wears that dress very well oh, johnny lee miller man Young <laughs> he wore johnny that dress that dress was amazing if you don't if you rewatch the end of that movie it's a good dress oh it is um i have vivid memories of it <laughs> So it's it's fun getting those creative juices flowing uh, mm-hmm. so much so that I uh, I discovered something today and in and ten minutes sent something to Sean uh, and I'll show it to you later. Uh-huh. Uh huh. So I, I'm just flipping through YouTube while I'm working on this SQL server. Sure, and, sure. And trying to do stuff and I see this video thing of like you know AI prompt. I I follow the chat uh, chat GPT stuff. I follow like all the um mid journey pieces and, yeah, yeah, yeah. and the stuff that's going on with art and design and they were like you can basically make mid journey into a live avatar and I'm like go on. And 2 minutes I did. I built an avatar in mid journey, shoved it over to this video program, threw a pre-generated AI voice on it, gave it a script and produced a video in Five minutes. I didn't even see this. Nope. Didn't get a chance to send it to you yet. Send it to Sean because I was like, how would you like to use this for your game to have some characters talking to us? Okay. So, yeah, I'll, I'll, I'll give you an example. It, okay. it is. I, I'll, I'll kick it out on the on the Discord as well so you guys can see the process and everything. But I wanted to, I, I slid it to him and I said, I, I wanted to clear by him, like, hey, oh my God. should I keep this on the down low and let you throw this into your game as your show off? Or can I show it to Sarah tonight and and put it out of Discord? He's like, no, no, go ahead and show Sarah. She she already sees all the stuff that I'm working on. Yeah, anyway, yeah she knows yeah. I'm working on this stuff. <laughs> but it was the whole idea of that, like, it was a really cool thing, and it took me no time to mm-hmm. do, like, absolutely no time. So I'll kick it out there. I honestly think it would be a really good idea, especially for people who are using uh, as a tool for people who are doing virtual games. Uh, and want a visual NPC character to talk to the group and have a different voice than their own. That'd be pretty neat. And yeah. it's it took me no time. I could have done this in like an interlude if I needed to have a quick, like, I don't know, a Johnson giving a mission briefing. Yeah, right. And it was it was fantastic. It was absolutely fantastic. So I absolutely love it. Um so yeah, that kind of wraps up with today. Um this week's show was fun for me to try and like dig into because I had interest in it, not necessarily doing it. Like when I was a kid, um, and I say kid, and I do mean like between the ages of like, God, scholastic years. I'll use that. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> in, sure. In scholastic years. I got myself this little four volume set mm-hmm. of Choose Your Own Adventure books. They came in a little sleeve. I loved Choose Your Own Adventure books. Those and were some of my favorite types of books. This back was. In the day. Before I gamed, this is before oh, yeah. my first time looking at D anD. D I had this like no like I, third third fourth grade yeah yeah and 
I had this little set, and I went through them, and I burned through them, mm-hmm. gave them to a friend, and they disappeared. But that's okay. They were, they were It was something simple. Sure, sure, um, sure. And I always look back on that. Do yeah. me a favor. Let's let's talk about what a what a choose your own adventure book is for just for just in case yeah, anybody I mean, out there. Yeah, it's a little historical. I, they so... were kind of ubiquitous for us, but yeah. uh, I, I'm not sure how ubiquitous they are anymore, or if they were ever outside of America or anything like that. So they were actually. I, I did a little bit of research okay, on that okay, part okay, of it. Cool. So um, choose your own adventure books were literally a odd form at the time of novella, and what it was is you would you'd start reading the opening of the book, and within a few pages you would be given a choice for what the character to do as if it was you that you are said character Mm -hmm. and it would be a path, uh, usually kind of an A or B, sometimes a C Mm -hmm. and it would tell you go to this page and you'd flip to that page and you'd continue reading. Right. So like make another choice as an example, it'd be like, you know, uh, the, you know, the the, the man walks over to you and he's, he's strange and he's a little frightening, but he says, come with me. I want to show you something, you know, uh, flip to page 52 if you go with him, but page to page 87, if you choose to run away from him, if you turn to continue on your way. Right. And these books were often small. They were often, I would say no more than probably a hundred pages, hundred, hundred fifty at most yeah uh and you would have a whole adventure now it was it was very scripted obviously um you didn't get any choices uh, other than what was presented before you but in all honesty truly looking back on it it was a form of role play so that kind of leads me into the discussion here of this week and that is is that we're talking about single player systems and that for very much was the genesis of me experiencing a single player system uh, one where you could play your own role-playing game and game books are kind of the gateway to that um zork was a text adventure game for uh pc and 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 before pc progenitors Mm -hmm. uh, where literally you were presented with an open keyboard of a scripted event where it was like you find yourself in a forest uh and uh, paths lead north south east and west which way do you go north and it t- read you another piece of text. Very much similar. Those early games yep. were yep. were a form of role play. You were playing a character in another world. Mm-hmm. Um, I've now discovered that these game books have gone well beyond this. Oh, yeah. Um, yeah. I'm going to flat out start this conversation off by saying Dungeon Dive, the YouTube channel, is wonderful. It is a treasure trove. I highly recommend going into it. Particularly what Daniel Davis does in that channel for this genre is wonderful. Yeah, it would be absolutely remiss for us to do any more of this show um, and not credit the fact that essentially he helped us with a lot of our research on this topic because he had already documented it so thoroughly and um, and helped us learn about this so we could bring it to And you. it's a massive genre. I mean, I, I went and looked... Uh, the count that I found on DriveThruRPG was over 4,000 entries. And those were all just solo. Now, I'm sure there were some that I could, didn't get because they were international and the words didn't translate. Mm-hmm. Um, but, dear God, there's a lot out there. And, like, that's, for me, like, th- this is right here the most shocking detail, I think, about this entire topic. Because I remember when we were jotting down this idea, you are like, hey, let's talk about single-player games. And I'm like... Yeah, but really, how many of those are there? Like, you know, I mean, is that is that really a big enough topic that we could do a show on? And then we start looking into it, and it's mm-hmm. 4,000 of them on DriveThruRPG alone. Yeah. And that's just what's on DriveThru, you know. Yeah. Um, and, and that doesn't count the ridiculous number of published choose-your-own-adventures out there, some of which are in the, and I do say this, thousands of pages. Oh, wow. There was one that I saw particularly that was well into 2,000 pages. And it's it's just a choose-your-own-adventure book. Mm-hmm. That's it. There's It's not a system. It's just choose-your-own-adventure. Yeah. But that's incredible. That means there's a ridiculous number of paths in there that you can go. Right. Like, the story just grows. Um, so, one of the things that um, Dungeon Dive did in one of their episodes was they did a great job of breaking down games into categories. Um scripted versus sandbox system versus tools journaling versus structured i am going to flat out say if you want a very detailed walkthrough of 
um, single-player game systems that are out there, and you mm-hmm. want some good examples, go watch that video. It will be an eye-opening experience. I, I will say there is several videos by Dungeon yes. Dive. Um, if you just search Dungeon Dive single-player you know, RPG or something like that, yeah. I mean... You're gonna get at least at least three of them that I watched. Yes. Um, that are you know various levels of detail yeah. about specific games yeah. or whatnot. I'll be putting out the link for our our uh, Discord members mm-hmm. uh, so that they can follow this. Um, I also may throw a comment on the Instagram as well. Yeah. Uh, for those who aren't out there, so that they can click on it. But it is a fantastic link um, that will take you there. But what we're gonna do for the show, for our purposes, since we're primarily talking about storytelling, um as in a group setting is I kind of want to focus on each one of the, like, I'm going to say groupings, subgenres, yeah, I suppose. Or, yeah. Or, or, or scoping. If yeah. you could say, and what the benefits those have for other gaming, mm-hmm. um, and how they can help out both players and storytellers. Um, so game books is that first step in my opinion, um, a place where it's a choose your own adventure. Nala, they're very novella. They're very scripted. Um, there are some that are sandbox, like the one I told you about, that's that are in the thousands of pages where, you know, you're 30 or 40 choices in. Mm-hmm. Like, you're not going to go back and be like, oh, I remember this choice. I'm going to try something else. Like, every time you go in, unless you map your route through this book, like, it's going to feel like a new adventure. Mm-hmm. Um, and I, I did see one where literally it says, start from this page, this page, this page, or this page for your adventure. And oh, yeah, so you new origins, so you're yeah. not repeating the same opening yeah. steps, yeah. Um, and there are some that go from book to book, which is even more interesting to me. Skyrim even has a mod like that, by yep. the way, yeah, so you don't yeah. have to redo the whole opening scene yep. again. Yeah. Yep. Um, and uh, there has been a huge growth for adapting those types of novellas into the AI genre where literally an AI will give you new scripting. Mm-hmm. So they're even more sandboxy. Yeah. yeah which yeah. is great and wonderful, but it's still very, I would say lim- limiting. Um, there are some game books that include uh, dice and, and go into a full box set where it's still a single player novella. You're still going page by page, but instead of it being like, do you fight him? And, it gives you the choice of whether you win or lose. You actually roll dice, keep track of your character stats. Oh yeah, and decide like I won. If you choose and you continue. to if you choose to fight, roll a d6 on a four or higher. Turn to this page. Right on a three or lower. Turn to this page. It's a bit more than that, actually. Yeah, it's like there's a system, and you say I won or I lost, mm-hmm. and then you go on from there. And I I think that's great. Yeah, yeah. Um, yeah. I think the big benefits of this genre is that. It is very easy to get into um, because it's just reading for the most part. Um, There can be some character tracking and and you can do some journaling if you want to Mm -hmm. to to denote how things are going. But the key is it gives you the basic concepts of what role playing really is. Yeah. Like at the very core level, if you've never role played, you know, it's that person who looks at you and goes, what do you mean role playing? You go, oh, it's D&D. And they're like, I know what the word means, but what is it? Right. You right. could hand somebody one of these books and says, do this. And when they're done, be like, you role played. There you go. Yeah. That's role playing. Yeah. <laughs> and you don't have to go into some dice explanation or math or anything or sitting at a table. It literally is giving you a role playing experience mm-hmm. in one book. But I think the, the, the valuable thing to this, though, and this is why I think this is great for like beginners and stuff, is that... Um, it does a lot of the scene setting and scripting for you mm-hmm. so that you don't have to try to imagine what's going on. You know, exactly. If you didn't know what role playing was or how to role play, or, you know, if you didn't understand the concept behind it and you looked at some of the more, um, I said numbers based systems, you know, mm-hmm. more dungeon crawly ones that we're going to talk about in a little bit, um, you may run into a situation where you're like, okay, this is just like a, a weird dice game. You know, yeah. I don't really understand what's going on and why they have to talk about, you know, it being like, you know, in a dungeon or whatnot. You know, if you're not filling in that story yourself, you may not see it. Mm-hmm. But for these more scripted ones, it's telling you that story. Yeah. You know, I think the other really great part about this is it's ex- highly accessible, highly accessible, oh, very accessible. There yeah. are. Uh, there are so many accessibility tools for books already on the market, mm-hmm. be it 
you know, Braille, be it reading, you know, uh, be it uh, out loud text, 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 text speech, yeah. large text, different fonts, getting it in a digital format so that you can alter what font is being displayed to you. Sure. All of that makes role playing more accessible. And for that, it gets high marks every Absolutely. time, every time. Absolutely. Um, the next one that kind of fits in in, in, a, in in another niche of that is the journaling based. Now, this, I want to say, really kind of came to a head just, I would say, in the last probably 10 to 15 years yeah, at the most. This, I think, was my my uh, vague introduction to uh, to first-person games. Okay. Um, or one-player games, I should say. Because, mm-hmm. uh, I, like I said, I really didn't know anything about the genre before. And I, I mean, I wasn't thinking that, like, choose-your-own-adventures are technically single-player role-playing games, you yeah. know? I wasn't thinking that. But, like, when we were... Um, I think it was before we had actually formally interviewed uh, uh, Doctor Cox. Mm-hmm. Um, you had uh, you were telling me about the project he was working on with the five hundred year old vampire. Yeah, the, the... Uh, and how it was kind of a, a different version of one thousand year old vampire. Yes, and I was like, "What's that?" <laughs> and so you told me, and like that was literally the first time. I, I mean, and I've been role playing since yeah. I was like twelve. Yeah, you know. Uh, so that's 30 years I've been role-playing. And just and never had heard of it. Had never heard of single-player games like this before. And you're like, oh, yeah, it's a journaling thing. You know, it gives you prompts and you make decisions <laughs> and you write little journal entries. I'm like, that's cool. So yeah. this is – I when coming into this discussion, I thought this right here was the entirety of it. And yeah. boy, how wrong I was. Yeah, journaling um, – I – I will argue to say that my idea of what kicked off journaling roleplay in a large way mm-hmm. was the internet and an early internet at that because you could have text-based correspondence roleplay where a story where a storyteller could present you a very simple scene and then you would reply in a narrative fashion of what was going on. Oh yeah, yeah, and we it, used to do that on um uh we uh we play it on Vampire mm-hmm. uh the Masquerade uh Mush. Yep. Multi-user Mush, shared hallucination. Yes. Mush. Yeah, you, you had muds, moos and mushes. Yeah. <laughs> multi-user dungeons, uh multi-user object or multi-user dungeons object oriented. Uh-huh, yeah. And yeah. then you had the mushes which came out later. Yep. Uh, all text-based for the most part. Uh, there were some that gave a little way to graphics later, which mm-hmm. really at that point were MMOs as people know them today. They're really very early um, MMOs, yeah. But uh, again, it was it was always a very simple prompt, mm-hmm. and then the reply was something greater, yeah, and often just accepted, mm-hmm. you know, and then a response was given back to that. And in that sense, those early games and oftentimes were just single player role play with a storyteller element or not a digital element that was presenting things. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Um, so uh, since then, it has grown quite large. Um, I, I won't even get into the itch.io tag list that had 800 to 1,000 listed in it. Oh, my God. Uh, just for t- just under journaling. Yeah. yeah. Um, but there's, like, I saw one that was, uh, that was presented, which was uh, Broken Cask, mm-hmm. which is where you're an innkeep. And you're keeping track of adventures who are coming in and writing things about it. But it's it's basically charts and writing. That's it. Yeah, yeah. That's your role play. Um, uh, Colossal is another one where you're traversing a world-sized castle. This one looked so cool. The, uh, <laughs> there, there were a couple in, in this list that like really tickled my fancy. Colossal was one of them. Yeah. And it, it's spelled, by the way, it, it, if, if it does tickle your fancies while you're looking into this, it's it's not Colossal. It's C-O-L-O-S-T-L-E. Uh, Took me a like, while to make sure I spelled that right. <laughs> like it's a mix of the words Colossal and Castle. Yep. And again, it just uses a standard deck of cards. It you you if you bought the box set, it came with a, a special deck with some real it, cute artwork yeah, on it. Yeah. But it, again, it was just a standard deck mm-hmm. of cards and a book, and that's it. You can still get the book online, I believe, through Dryper RPG. But effectively, you're just journaling your way through it mm-hmm. and what how you handle those situations. Uh, another one that's even in that same genre is uh, Ronin, which is a a simple book with uh, I think a two d six methodology. Mm-hmm. And it's just situations that your Ronin keeps going into. Yeah. yeah Whether yeah. a place that then has an action that then has a whatever, um, that it basically creates effectively the MacGuffin in situation. You can write your own samurai drama. It's exactly what it is. Yep. And I, I think yep. that's wonderful. Um, 
And again, you can go on itch.io and find hundreds of these. Find oh, your yeah. flavor, find everything. Um, I think the the keys to this one is it's a, it's a bit more than the previous because it's definitely more open-ended. Mm-hmm. You now have a lot more choice. Um, the story doesn't necessarily always direct you to what you should do. In most cases, it leaves it quite open. Um, but there's also no stats or advancement. So the ma- a lot of the crunch is pulled from you. Um, but it is it is g- bringing you back to the focus of roleplay, that this is your character with your choices. Um, but at the same regard, you're also kind of given more storyteller choices as that player. Since it is your game, you can make adjustments Mm -hmm. and and push through and really kind of have a full novella that you're writing. Yeah, sure. Like a a biography or biographical novella, which again, I I will argue that this may teach new players how to keep good notes, (laughs) Mm -hmm. but it it does it in a fun way. Yeah. You know, Uh, and and shows worlds that other people have made. Like a, a castle the size of a world, like that concept is just, unique right and wonderful right um it, it, i tried to attach it to like laputa castle in the sky oh laputa yeah. Yeah, yeah and yeah. and like nothing was really coming to mind except for something more like Discworld, even like if that was a castle onto itself mm-hmm. you know uh, amazing it's turtles all the way down <laughs> it's it's funnily well no it's not turtles all the way down there are some elephants in there <laughs> <laughs> um the next step up from that uh, really is where I think the genre sits today, um, is where this breakpoint is, and that is the self-contained systems. Mm-hmm. Um, they don't need anything else for them. They are their own box sets. Um, like Rad Zone is a apocalyptic game that is listed as roll and write or print and play. This is another one that mm-hmm. I was like, oh, I've got to get my hands on that. Again, super inexpensive too. Yeah, right. All these are very accessible. I mean, it's just like it's post-apocalyptic. You know, I mean, Rad Zone. I mean, mm-hmm. what do you think? You know, it's it's yeah. basically the Fallout role-playing game. You know, but uh, but single player. And but it is a gen- full role-playing game. Yeah. Um. Four Against the Darkness is another one where you're playing a group of adventurers, in Yeah, fact. like a Scooby Squad, basically. Exactly. Uh-huh. The difference is that this actually is a series of adventures mm-hmm. that you play through. Mm-hmm. And so there is a bit of scripting as it walks through so it can continue novel to novel uh, with your characters. But you, you keep your stats, you keep your gear, you keep your advancement. All of that is inclusive in this. And that brings you much, much closer to... Right classic tabletop sit down and play yeah you know again you're opening with this design some of these games you're you're given some characters that you're then advancing um something like um a hundred uh a d100 dungeon you're you're able to build mm-hmm. you're, you're making your own character to do that but it is literally a hex crawl game yeah um with a series of events and a world that is being built as you go. Pull out your hex graph paper and, yeah. you know, and, and, and some regular old square graph paper. You might have to, like, draw some very little things, but, like, you're going to kind of create that world as you go. Hex by hex, dungeon mm-hmm. room by dungeon room. Yep. Um, there was one that was spoken highly of uh, based upon its, its history and such, and that was uh, Barbarian Prince. Uh, but a more recent one, Drifter. Uh, is a Western style. And these have much more, um, uh, I guess, box game style design to them, where mm-hmm. they, they have a full system, they have a full world that you're walking across. Um, it is a sandbox, but it is finished. It is a finished world with finished pieces to it. Um, it feels almost board game-like, mm-hmm. because you're playing something that is that feels almost scripted as you move through the hexes. Right, right. Uh, but there is still some randomness within that that gets created either through dice play uh, or or other elements like that or event play. Sure, absolutely. Um, I, I, I think it was... I, I don't know if it was Barbarian Prince. One of the ones that we saw in there, um, mm-hmm. I took note... I, I wish I'd written it down. I just was, I wasn't at my computer at the time when I watched it. Mm-hmm. Um, was It may have been Barbarian Prince. was actually by Kevin Crawford. Yes. You remember the name. I do remember the name. He starts without number. Yes. So, like, again, Mm -hmm. creeping creeping back into... He's a very prolific author, you know? All over the place. Literally all over the place. Um, 
but these self-contained systems sit at a definitely a more crunch level um for people who want to have a character who want to have um to see their stats to see their advancement to see a physical character sheet grow into something greater yeah you flip through one of these books and you're especially when you when you start getting away from the journaling and stuff like that mm-hmm. you start seeing a lot more charts mm-hmm a lot more, and, and we're we're not talking small charts either. This isn't like roll a d six and here are six options that came out of this. This is like roll a d hundred or or pick roll a two d six, yeah, and each one is a value, you know, right? And then cross reference them, mm-hmm. or you know, pick a card out of the deck, and this is one of fifty two possibilities, you know. Right. Um, much much larger charting, much larger, uh, um follow through on that charting as well um so it 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 gets you closer to osr gaming on a personal level um so if you need that level of crunch if you're if you're if you're already a tabletop gamer and you only want to take like one step back this would be where i would say your footing should land right right how do i play dungeon crawl classics but by myself yeah and to a degree, I'd almost say, like, I none of my friends want to play a Western game. What do Are I do? Are you so sure? About- oh, oh, I'm sorry. Yes. I, I thought you were. I thought you were putting that upon no, me, no, and no, I'm like, like no, I'd, I love it, you know? In your case, none of my friends want to play horror. Yeah, that's Lovecraftian true. horror. You could very easily go and grab Alone Against Fear mm-hmm. and enjoy that system and have a good time with it. Very much. It very is a much. lone wolf progressionary story. Mm-hmm. And and that's perfect. And that's where I see this kind of fitting as our current state of like a step down. Now, I only say that it's a step down because you do not have a storyteller. The the problem I see with this at this point in the crunch is that you're getting to the point where you probably need one mm-hmm. because charts can only make it feel so random. You're you're kind of in a Minecraft world where generation is going to be based upon a random number generator for every. Yeah. Like I'm riding across on my horse in Minecraft. Oh, there are wolves here. Why are there wolves here? It's not because there's some food to eat. It's not because it's it's because you're in the right biome at the right time and, and it randomly, randomly generated them. them. Yeah. Now, are there three or thirty? No one knows, but it could be, and. The point is, is that it doesn't feel like a story. It feels just like an event occurred. Right, the story right. is still yours to generate. Mm-hmm. Now, the game does a bit more in saying why you're there or what your direction of going across that. Unlike something like Minecraft, where it's like, why am I going from point A to point B? Because mm-hmm. I chose to. Versus, I'm going here because someone told me that in this other place there will be something waiting for me to do. Okay, now I find wolves along the way. I have to survive in these various things. And when I get there, there are still tasks to complete based upon where I was. Okay, all of that makes sense. Now I can connect those dots and it becomes a story. Uh, But it still doesn't feel like there's crafting going on. Because there, for all intents and purposes, isn't. Mm -hmm. That's where we step into tabletop role-playing systems with single-play options. Or... Uh, how uh, Dungeon Dive kind of handled it, it was they called it an overlay, and I think that's a great way to put it. Yeah, uh, we we talk um, every so and then, especially like during our system spotlights, uh, and I know you you'd mentioned this uh, uh, during our Blades in the Dark um, system spotlight. That mm-hmm. You said you looked at the system and you could almost play it single player. There are um, options for it, and it, right. Oh, and I'm sure there are. Mm-hmm. Um, but uh, uh, this is exactly what we're talking about. Is mm-hmm. is whether it's built right into the rule system itself, or whether um, it is an add-on um, uh, to to the system that you know shows you, okay, here's some alternate rules you should use to be able to do this single player. Mm-hmm. Um, you can take an existing multiplayer game and pare it down to single player. Yeah, and some systems have it. Morkborg has their own. Um... And it's called solitary defilement. I know it's, it's be- clever because of course it is. Yeah, um, <laughs> and a lot of these use uh, this oracle system, um, which is where basically you're answering very simple yes, no, or yes and no but kind of responses to it mm-hmm. to craft your story as you progress, and it becomes your de facto storyteller. Mm-hmm. And because it is system agnostic, it is primarily the narrative of the story. Mm-hmm. 
It is not looking to say X number of monsters with Y number of stats come and attack you based on this randomness. It is saying you have an encounter with something of this sort. Mm -hmm. And then the system dictates that. Um, One of the things they have is uh, Escape the City, which is a playing card version that is kind of scripted. Uh, City Crawl... um, there are they have rule sets for both Kern and D and D fifth edition in there mm-hmm. for its direct translation. Like you can just play it in those systems for yourself. Yeah, and um, I think you know the the fact that this is the I think it's one of the only ones that we've we've seen here that is fifth edition compatible. Yes, and knowing the ubiquity of that system, mm-hmm. this is a really great. It's called Escape the City. Mm-hmm. Um, so if you are a fifth edition player familiar with that rule set, looking to get into this, maybe this, maybe Escape the City is something you want to look at. You know, might, might give you some flavor to start with. Yeah. Um. The second thing that I will say about this is, there's nothing wrong with a predominant new storyteller, someone who's already been a player of fifth edition, who's looking to do storytelling, playing one of these, because it shows you what it takes at a very base level to have an adventure. It shows you all of the pieces that can go into it, and you can start getting a lot of the juices flowing in your mind for what you might want to do. And I'm, I, I use Escape from the City as an example, but there are just as many other genre um, themes and stories out there that are for a number of systems. Mm-hmm. Uh, so you can go from fantasy to sci-fi to... to um, uh, investigative to punk to whatever, mm-hmm. uh, and there are single player overlays for all of them, from kids on bikes all the way out. Yeah, um, and the point of this is um, is that you can get to this level of depth, or you can still grab a system that is overlay esque, like Fallen um, by Perplexing Runes. It is its own independent system, but detached within it is the complete Oracle system for it to mm-hmm. be able to play fallen in something else that is 100% system agnostic, much like some of the other systems we saw where like, I could just pull this system right out and use it in anything else. Yeah. It's just, it's just a decision-making process essentially. Exactly. You know? It's a narrative decision-making process that creates force agitation and a power law lo- and, and a, a, a disturbance in power. Mm-hmm. And that's all you need. Yeah. But it, teaches you that it yeah. teaches you the fine art of that and you can play it to see how successful it is for you mm-hmm. and just through that you are now starting to possess those basic skills of doing it they uh one of the things in uh glass making uh and i, I know i brought this up before uh, and showed pictures of it is that when you're when you start out in glass making one of the things they'll give you is a very simple thing to do over and over and over again this is a common thing for any crafting uh, practice. Uh, lathe people will often uh, used to often do candlesticks. Yeah. Until you can get it perfect. Mm-hmm. Now perfection is with the eye of the holder, but like your master would look at it and say it meets the tolerances. Good job. Now do it nine times in a row. Yeah. Now you can do other things because you understand the process. Mm-hmm. This, there's no difference in this. Yeah. If you want to master craft, the truth is you either do it for a very long time and screw it up a lot. Or you practice mm-hmm. a lot. Any online game person who's making it big, anybody who's producing in in uh, doing media production, anyone who's done sales, anyone who does anything to a mastery level, gymnasts, other physical athletes, will tell you, you know, well, how did you get so good at this? I practice. I do it eight hours a day. I eat, breathe, sleep seen multiple other people stay within the the field if you want to be a great storyteller you gotta storytell and that's hard to do you need lots of tables you need a lot of feedback sometimes the best feedback can be yourself when you're seeing something like this so yeah let these help be that guide for you to get better to hone your skills so that you can use these tool sets not as a crutch, but as a block to help you do it. In Fallen specifically, they had a very simple tool. In one side, it was a MacGuffin creator, and on the other side was basically the Oracle card, which would give you, uh, I, I want to say there were like nine charts on it uh, that you could just quickly roll through to create an entire scenario. Hmm. 
And it was on a single card that wasn't even eight and a half by 11. Right, right. And I looked at that and I said, why isn't that everywhere? Why, why don't they just hand those out at the store? Like, oh, you bought the DM's guide. Here, take this. You need this. Right. You don't know it. You <laughs> need this. It's dangerous to go alone. Take this. Yeah. Yes. You know, knit it. Put it on your wall. <laughs> right, <laughs> Whatever right. it takes. But the idea is, is that there's never been a time when any storyteller hasn't said, oh, crap, I'm dry. I don't know what to do next. <laughs> and these things are just there not to tell you what to do next, but they can. Mm-hmm. And in that alone, you'll go, oh, I don't want to do that, but that's how, okay, now I got it. And then your idea is gone. Now it's, now you're onto something. Yeah. And that's all you need is that tiny spark of inspiration. Yeah. I mean, we, we, we talked a little bit about, you know, like, it actually kind of harkened back to the pregame here, which we talked about Sean's game, you know, like that, that spark of inspiration for what my character was going to be was mm-hmm. literally just because his brother posted on Discord, this is what I'm going to do. Mm-hmm. And I was like, yeah, I've been toying with this side. Wait a minute. Yep, that's, <laughs> that's all you need sometimes. Just that one extra little seed to just get thrown in there, and just, you know that pebble tossed into the pond to disturb the surface, that just sends that one ripple that makes you see it differently. You know. Mm-hmm. Now the other thing that this that this particular genre also has built into it is the ability to take skirmish games and turn them into narrative games. Mm-hmm. Um, one of the ones is the Five Leagues from the Borderlands. Uh, there's also a sci-fi edition of it. Um, but literally, its whole point is to help you pull a skirmished game into story, into the story. Yeah, no, this is this is kind of at the point where um, you start kind of blurring the lines between board game and role-playing mm-hmm. game, you know? Mm-hmm. And you and I have had this discussion. I think we've had this discussion on the air, yeah. you know, a couple times, a couple times. too, about, about, like, where is the distinction between a board game and a role-playing game, you know? And I think the answer ultimately is, I don't know, how into it are you? <laughs> yeah, because you, you can't judge it solely by your decision-making choices, right? Because it's not. If you have multiple choices, you have agency. You may not have unlimited agency, and I dare say even in some people's D&D games you don't. In OSR, you very much don't have full agency. Sure. You know, uh, in the traditional sense. So it's not just agency. It's not just you are playing a character, right? Because that is an aspect that's in a lot of things that isn't necessarily role-playing, but it is a it is the primary term of playing a role, and it isn't necessarily that, you know, it's uh, it's open narrative with deep plots and things like that. That's not part of it. But all of those pieces pull together to to generate what we know as role play. Absolutely. And I, I do feel that this very much blurs that point and, and makes you question it even more. You know, at, at the end of the day, was a story told because of the random movement of these pieces, you know? Right. At the end of the day, can you can you tell me in narrative form what happened? Yeah. Oh, yeah, you know, this guy came in here, and he did this, and he did that, but then these other people didn't like that, so they went and they did this other... Okay, cool, you told a story. Yeah. That's role-playing. Yeah. You know? Whereas, like, if I narrate a baseball game, that's not role-playing. I'm narrating a baseball game. Yeah, you're just saying what happened, you know? Correct. But... I, even if I say it in a cool way, it's still narrating a baseball game. There's still a, a, a specific path to go in, you know, and on it. But if I start talking about the pitcher's day before the game and after the game, what the outcome was, now I've created a narrative story, and you could say that could be role play in that sense. But the idea is, is that once you get to this point, the benefits obviously grow quite large. Um, something like uh, Mythic, which is is huge, uh, but it's, again, system agnostic and is designed to basically slap on top of any existing system to make it, uh, to make it GM-less, um, really helps with those kind of things and can, again, help a storyteller, you know, basically pocket play a game. They could run Mythic off on the side table here, if you will, while running D&D for a story and let it help tell the story Mm -hmm. if they didn't have all of the control. But they had some idea in their head of where they wanted things to go. That gives them the rest of the tool set that they need. Yeah. Yep. You know, I can say without a shadow of a doubt that I know people who went to work at a pizza place that was a chain and still made creative things. They had a tool set, they were told to do it a certain way, and yet, they broke the rules every once in a while. Sure. 
Now they break the rules all the time at home because mm-hmm. they know what, how to do it because they were given a tool set to start with. There is nothing wrong with these training wheels at all. Absolutely. Yeah. Absolutely. Use them. Use your water wings. You got it. Mm-hmm. Right. So this is much more to the classic role play. This requires you to do a lot of, of work effort, and you can see the work effort required to do storytelling. And I think if you if, if you can get through this on your own, you can start stepping into that arena much more comfortably. Mm-hmm. Um, and it's... I dare say it is the closest thing you can get, because, like in the case of Mythic, you are playing whatever system you wanted to play, be it Savage World, be it D&D, be it Cypher, be whatever. You can play it, and Mythic will be there to be your guide, Mm -hmm. to help you, Mm -hmm. to be that silent silent storyteller pushing you in a direction. Yep. Just that simple. Yep. Um, There were a few other... This was the broad sense of things. Mm -hmm. I'm not going to go into the detail, but there is nothing to say... Role playing at a base level is not very different from tabletop gaming. Eldritch Horror is a great example of that, uh, and Arkham Horror. They're card games that are a story that you're yeah. moving through. Yeah, that are I mean, different every time. Eldritch Horror, I, I, I mean, even has one player rules for it. Right. Um, I, I, I knew someone back in the day who, uh, who played Eldritch Horror. Like uh, almost at any given time, you talk to her would have a, a, a game of Eldritch Horror just set up in one of her rooms that mm-hmm. she was going through. You know, single player. Mm-hmm. And again, I mean, it's it's one of those. It's sure it's a board game, but like. Every card has a narrative on it. Mm-hmm. Every, you know, the the, ta- the the board kind of does its own thing. It's you versus the board, you know? Mm-hmm. So, really, are you making the decisions for your character and you're getting these stories to tell through the narration on the cards? Isn't that kind of a role-playing game, you know? It very much is. Yeah. It very much is. Um, That's it. Like, it's... I, I We could go into hyper-detail and focus on some of these systems, and I really don't want to. Because I don't feel we need to. I think by talking about the various grand terms, as as, I, as we kind of broke them down, the game books, journaling, the self-contained, the, 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 the systems, the overlays, yeah. all of those have benefits within them and, and bring you closer to it. But realistically, all of them are good. Mm-hmm. All of them are good good ways to help people break into the genre. And so if you know somebody who wants to role play and like wants to be in one of your games and you're 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 considering adding them in but you're concerned that they may not understand role playing, go get them a choose your own adventure book, hand it to them. See how they enjoy it. Yeah. Let them know that that's the, the opening values. Yep. And go from there. Yep. You know, or if they even said like, "Well, I enjoyed Skyrim." Great. mm mm-hmm. Mhm. How about this? Yeah. You know, and you give them the next step up from that. You give them a journaling game so that they're making their own decisions Mm -hmm. versus just following a quest line. Yeah. So we had some good questions. We did have some good questions. Go ahead and grab one there. um, I'll start with Nevin. Um, What key elements is needed to change any game into a single player game? The I, the very base thing that I would say is that the the uh, you can say that by making it GM less, you are making it a a scripted or randomed system, and you need to have that generation. You need to have something generating that for it. Yeah, yeah. Um, whether it be the game book guiding you through it, or uh, a number of charts and tables you can roll upon or draw cards through some sort of random production. Mm-hmm. Um, mm-hmm. Or heck, even if you want to, you know, reach out to some of the AI creations that we've got going nowadays, some yeah. of those might be able to do that for you. you very know? much so. Very much so. Um, second question was how to create compelling adversity in such games. This is where they vary pretty wildly. Yeah. Um, there are some that are, again, very scripted stories mm-hmm. that are moving in a specific direction. And in a scripted story, you will get the rise and falls, mm-hmm. which are great. Um and and the random chances for complete fate and failure. Mm-hmm. But the point of the matter is is that um, compel- the the compelling adverse ad- adversity that you would normally find in a game is no different. The moment that you want to make something narrative is the moment that you are creating a plot device. And some of these systems do that. They create an act tree through random roles mm-hmm. 
because they ask you for specific things and they say, okay, do you want to do this? Do you want to do this? Do you want to do this? Do you want to feel like this? Boom. And it says, roll this, 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 and this, and put those together in a chain. There's your series of events. And here's how you resolve the outcome to that, whatever the system is, you know, yep. and, tur and turn to this page or. Yep. And it's again, know. it's scripted, but you randomly generated that script. Yeah. But it knew what elements it needed to throw into each one of those pieces. Uh, my answer for this is uh, you create compelling adversity in any game, whether it is single player or multiplayer, the exact same way. And that is go find some trouble and to get into it. Mm, that is true. Um, charge headlong into danger. Do something foolish. Act against your logic. Um, fight with your heart and not your head. You know, mm -hmm. those sort of things. Um, make bad decisions. Mm-hmm. On purpose, mm -hmm. you know, think of what your character would do, act impulsively rather than what you, a neutral, calm, objective, third party observer to your character, sh you know, decides you should do, you know, Leroy Jenkins, don't play optimally. Yeah. And you know, I've said it before. No good story ever started with a salad. I don't know. Those commercials with the laughing women in it. I swear they're having a great time. Yeah, that salad is good. They really are having a great time. All right. Grab one. Uh, all right, so Nifty Hat asks, uh, do single-player games have similar moments to group tabletop RPG sessions uh, where the mechanical or narrative moments come together in an exciting or unexpected way? If so, what, primary dri uh, what primarily drives these moments to happen? I will say the same thing I would say at a table. You, the player. The player always drives the moment. They see what they see in their mind's eye and start moving through it. It's it's really no different than reading a novel and getting into the character. Yeah. Yeah, I you're agree. once the tension is within you and you're attached to it. Horror horror movies do this all the time. They grab you and pull you in. Yeah. And the idea is like <laughs> you're <laughs> I I love it's the woman in the theater. Don't go in there. Right. Like, like the right. moment that you're attached to your character and you're like, I'm gonna open the door, but I shouldn't open the door. Oh, why am I doing this? This is stupid, this is stupid, this is stupid idea. This is what my character would do. <laughs> yeah. That's what you want. Those are compelling moments that draw you in because you are there. And yeah. that's what that's what does it. It's definitely the character buy-in. You know, even even with some of your more um like dungeon crawly random chart ones, uh like the was it D one hundred dungeon yeah. or something like that? Um where it really it's just it's just a giving you a random dungeon crawl, you know, very, very hex based, mm -hmm. very mechanical. Mm -hmm. You know, but like you know, think about going through that and then, you know, drawing like the same treasure card like three times in a row, you mm -hmm. know, and then thinking to yourself like I'm, w w one person might be doing that and going, oh, it's the third time I've gotten this. That's cool. Blah, 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 blah. And they just go on with the, with the story. Mm -hmm. But another person might look at that and go, clearly, I am fated to have this card. I am now I am now a knight of the golden sword because the golden sword keeps showing up, you know? Yeah. Clearly, it's an omen, and you start seeking it out. It starts influencing your decisions because you're getting into the character that has had this experience rather than just, oh, the dice came up that number three times in a row. Yeah. You know? Or, in the other case, you look at it and say, God, four other people from the golden sword died here and left their swords? Somebody really wants us dead. <laughs> right. Yeah. Or or something like that. But one, yeah. w once you start writing that story in your head, once you start looking at the random tosses of dice or draws of cards or whatever and going, there's a reason for this. Mm -hmm. If only in my head mm -hmm. I'm seeing a story unfold, that's where you get those moments. It's, the, it's that buy-in. It's mm -hmm. allowing yourself to do that. Yep. Very much so. Uh, there's one more here. Oh, okay. I'm you're, you're, you're prompting breathing me. in. I was like, go ahead. Uh, group games, uh, yeah, well, I do that 50% of the time. If I'm not doing in, I'm usually doing out. Oh, okay. That makes a lot of sense. Uh, <laughs> group games have some common uh, understood systems that drive design in them, like Powered by the Apocalypse, OSR, Forged in the Dark, and No Dice, No Masters. Does the single-player game space have a common popular systems that people use as a basis for design? I'm gonna say I'm gonna say no. No, I'm gonna say every single one of these that we've seen is, in some way at least, unique. Yeah, I would say the closest thing you get is the, um, some of the MacGuffin designs for, uh, the the steps cre to create the adventure, mm -hmm. um, or to create the scenarios, um, are very formulaic because they're story formulaic. Yeah, who's yeah. the problem? 
what's the crux, what's the complication, uh, what's the end desire. And like, okay, there, there's your four things. Generate those randomly and you will always get something cool. It is a group of elves who are stuck on a bridge, who have uh, wolves on the other side, and they're trying to save a village. Boom. There's an adventure. Have a nice day. Yep. You know, and but that's the common kind of theme. And again, looking at these, you you quickly recognize what you need to build an adventure. Mm-hmm. If you can see the common thread, it is just story thread. There's there's really nothing unique about that. But until you've done it a dozen and a half times, your brain goes, oh, that's what it is. Shit. That was simple. And yeah. the answer is, it is, once you're attached to it. Yeah. So. Absolutely. Yeah. Uh, Subjet uh, asks, it seems that the basis of role-playing is a storyteller and participants. How can role-playing be done solo? I will dare say that our brains are capable of creating multiple layers of ourselves. If you can role-play in an imaginary way one person, you can role-play in an imaginary way something that helps you with that. And I I dare say that any storyteller... The moment you have a, you know, more than one NPC in a scene, you're mm-hmm. already doing that. Also, straight up, don't build your own PC characters and put them in the game. This is not what we're teaching you to do here. I'm just being clear. <laughs> right, that right. is not what we're teaching out of this. This is not a lesson on DMPCs. Yes. yes. Do, do, straight up, don't do that. Mm-hmm. Don't do that. If you're playing a tabletop game with other people in the game, do not play with them. Right, Don't right. do it. You're already playing with them. You're the storyteller. Remember that. <laughs> that is not what we're saying here. But I will say I, I agree with that statement that... You are participating and writing together and discovering, and I, I, I see, uh, I, I see no difference in that. Yeah, absolutely. It absolutely. is still a creative process. And then twenty-two Bebo squeezed one in at the end here. Uh, of the single-player games that you have played or looked into, which was your favorite and why? You had listed one you really were interested uh, in earlier. I think, I think Rad Zone looked looked really super cool to me. Um, okay, I. I I'm a fan, I'm a long-time fan of the Fallout series, um, and when I say long-time fan, I mean Fallout 1, right? Mm-hmm. I have I have liked each progressive game less. <laughs> so, right, right, right. Um, uh, Fallout 4 being my least favorite of the uh, of the mainline series. Uh, new, uh, of course, New Vegas, I mean, as a, as a transgender woman, uh, I'm obligated to like uh, New Vegas. So, right. Um, there's uh uh but but strangely enough though as much of a fan of the series as I am I've never actually played a post-apocalyptic role-playing game before like really? at a tabletop I mean okay. you know uh it's just it's just never come up for our groups it's usually either been um you know contemporary fantasy like World of Darkness or it has been uh yeah. some some brand of heroic fantasy like D&D uh, those have consumed probably 85% of my entire gaming life right there, you know? Yeah. And then the few other games that we did get to play, uh, you know, I played a little bit of Shadowrun um, here and there. Mm-hmm. Uh, Battletech, obviously, was uh, was my bread and butter for a good hot second there. I mean, dare say that's post-apocalyptic. <laughs> eh... Really, really post, though. Like, far post. <laughs> like, the apocalypse is just kind of keep happening, yes. and, you know... Um, but but yeah, uh, but but never never in that classic sense of like Mad Max, blasted wasteland, doof wagon, gas masks, and yeah, you know, cobbled together pipe guns, you know, tank girl, yeah, yeah. It's it's never been there's never been tank girl. Um, and I've always been fascinated by it. Mm-hmm. Uh, and so seeing that there is a uh, a comprehensive and uh, flipping through the book and stuff of that it looked really like I, I didn't get into the book or anything mm-hmm. like that but it looked really well put together looked like it had some good artwork some good layout and yeah. stuff of that very enticing as a product goes mm-hmm. um and knowing that i don't have to wrangle a group for that nope you know would be would be great mm-hmm. so mm-hmm. yeah I, I think i think rad zone probably scratched that itch at least on the surface i am absolutely judging a book by its cover here mm-hmm. that's what they're there for by the yeah. way well, both you know, front and back right 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 um I think for me, um, when I started seeing Escape from the City, um, it it intrigued me as a storyteller. Like, okay, this is an overlay, but it's a general overlay for fantasy. Okay, this could be interesting. I'd be interested in seeing how this differs from a standard D&D adventure, right? Because now you don't have the conflicts as, like, the crux points. Mm Mm-hmm. 
it's generalized. Um, same with Fallen. I was very interested in how Fallen did its uh, its, its story generation. Because mm-hmm. I wanted to see how that came together. So both of those really intrigued me. And again, not expensive. Not hard to get into. Yeah. Easy to understand. Very straightforward. Um, and I was it, it, it made me think like, okay, these are going to be even even experienced storytellers, how much can you pull out of these as a discovery method? Mm-hmm. And for me, I'm probably going to pick up Fallen because it's $10. Like, all, all a $10 hairs, you know, yeah, exactly. gives you a ton of stuff. Exactly. I'll take it. Um, you've, 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 you've paid more for less. I I, I have. Yeah. <sighs> Dark Souls, why? Why Dark Souls? Um, <laughs> just because, because we needed it for the show. we needed it for the show. Because we, we needed it for the show. show. Why? But yeah, I would say out of those, out of out of what we we did discovery on, those really intrigued me, and uh, I'll probably pick those up and and do some do some diving on those just to see how I feel about them. Maybe we should each pick one of these up and, and in a couple months come back. Yeah, yeah, I think that's that, fair. That, that could be fun. Do I'll, I'll pick up Red Zone. You pick up uh, Fallen probably. And... Yeah, I'll probably pick up Fallen because it's got a bit more to it. Yeah, so. yeah. But yeah, I think that would be fun. And uh, well, I mean, we'll come back and give you guys a review of what we uh, what we discovered. See, it's either gonna be it's either gonna be Red Zone or Drifter. I think Dr- Drifter and Ronin also looked really good to me. I think like, Ronin you'd like way more. I'd really like Ronin, probably a lot more than Drifter. Yeah, I but think Drifter, Drifter, Drifter looked Drifter's, cool. Drifter's big. There's yeah. a lot in Drifter going yeah. on. So, um, so I'm 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 gonna open a little time here to talk about this because next week we are doing a pre-recorded show. Yeah, uh, by one day, so it's 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 just a little early, um, because we have two guests. Mm-hmm. Now we've talked about this uh, a, a little bit ahead of time, um, and obviously we can announce it a little bit more now. Uh, next week's one, next week's show, which we kind of uh, preambled was uh, from the previous one about advancement, is what does it mean to the story when your characters level? So going from level one to level five. How does that interact with the plot? And what happens if they start out-leveling your plot from from a power standpoint? What if your power curve breaks your plot? Yeah. You know? and, and and does it? Really? And, or, and, or does it? Yeah, yeah, exactly. You know? So we had... Uh, we, we were reached out to by two authors. Um, and uh, we were very kind of excited as we, we started talking with them about different topics. Uh, this one came up. They are creators of a common world that they write in mm-hmm. uh, and have a number of novels. Uh, and this is uh, Autumn Burt and uh, Jesper Smith. Uh, they are both outside of the country, which is why we have to uh, adjust our time. We're yeah, we recording this at like 4 p.m. Four, b- because it's way late it's for like Jesper. It's 10 or 11 for Jesper. And yeah. God, thank that man for doing this. I mean, he said he's used to the time shift because he's often doing stuff with, with Americans. And I, I appreciate but every moment of it. But, uh, keeping oh. that man up past his bedtime. So. Yeah. So uh, if you hear a little yawning going on <laughs> during the record of that show. <laughs> be kind I, to him. Please be kind. Yeah. Uh, we will be uh, pre-recording it. We will be releasing it on a Wednesday uh, after edit. Uh, and get that out, but it'll be pretty raw. I, I don't expect that show to have pretty much any edits in it unless we have some problems with uh, with getting them connected. But yeah, sure. be looking forward to that on uh, Wednesday. Uh, I'll try and release that as close as I can to our normal uh, recording time so everybody can enjoy it. If you are if you wanted to listen live, you can do that. Uh, I might throw a link out there for our Patreon members uh, to uh, possibly listen in on the recording. If uh, So be looking for that uh, at around uh, 4 o'clock on Tuesday of next week uh, if you'd like to join us. Um, beyond that, uh, we've got some other exciting shows coming up, uh, that are, uh, where we have a few, we have another guest and, uh, we have some other content that was sent to us that were, was a topic that, uh, I don't, I didn't expect, uh, as far as, uh, doing a, a system spotlight on it. Uh, so I'm, I'm kind of excited mm-hmm. to, uh, to do that one as well. Um, anything else you want to add bef- to this one? No, nah, we're good. Awesome. Well, to bed. I will let you close us out here, Sarah. Alrighty. Well, uh, you can find us on Twitter at st underscore conclave, on Instagram at st underscore conclave. Listen to us live every Wednesday night at 7 p.m. Eastern time on mixlr.com slash storyteller dash conclave. 
and uh, join us on our Discord. We'd love to hear from you. Uh, join the discussion with our great other storytellers on there. Bounce campaign ideas. Shoot us some show questions. We'll answer them here on the air, as you've heard. Uh, you can find that link on our Twitter, as well as our website, StorytellerConclave.com. We'd like to thank all of our Patreon members who support us every single month, especially our name members, Knox in the Box, Subjet, The Arcane Asylum, Veteran, Hulavu, Sam, Sean, and Spark Emotion. We truly appreciate all of your support. Our pre-show music is by Arcane Anthems. You can find them on patreon.com slash arcaneanthems or on Instagram at arcaneanthems. Our intro music is Beyond the Warriors by Geefrock. You can find that at geefrock.bandcamp.com or on Google Music. And our outro music is Only Our Footprints in the Sand by Midair Machine. You can find them at freemusicarchive.org. Big shout out as always to our families, Vicky and Sean. Thank you so much for loving and supporting us. All of our friends who've sat with us at our tables over the years to give these great stories to share with you and you, every single one of our listeners. We love you guys so much. Love you guys. Good night. Good night.